Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. As we continue our theme of discipleship, uh, I was reminded the disciples are learners. The disciple in the days of Jesus was a pupil, a student. And uh, so we're learners, and I love learning all the time. We have a great team. I learn from our team all the time. I learned this morning about the shield of faith and, and the depiction of the battles they won. In to, I love that. Thank you um, for that really fabulous insight. I, I studied the armour of God, but I didn't know that, and so I'm learning all the time. It's wonderful, isn't it? When we understand discipleship today, it may be a little bit different to discipleship back in Jesus' day. When Jesus called his first disciples, says, come and follow me and I'll make you. Hey, you know that. What do fishers of men do? They go fishing for men. They go boating, camping, fishing for, for men. Say, so it's why everyone needs a boat. He called his disciples to partner with him in reaching lost people. And you know how, like, in the last couple of years, there's been a bit of a virus going around? Um, <clears throat> started what was called a coronavirus, then a delta virus, and, and then Omicron virus, and then now there's a variant of that Omicron virus, and it, every time it morphs and mutates, it, it's a different variant. And I wonder if discipleship today is a little bit of a variant from the initial one. Because the initial one was, everybody's making fishes of men. So when I got saved under Alan Meyer's ministry, when I was a youth pastor at the church, um, Back in Ringwood in those days, our young adults, I was 20 at the time, our young adults ministry was like every Friday night. We would go out preaching the gospel on the streets. Yeah. That's just like what we did because disciples tell others about Jesus. We were fishing for men all the time. And if we've varied a little bit from that, if we've mutated a little bit from that or we didn't quite catch on, I want to share with you a really simple parable, a difficult one to explain if we don't understand the context, but we'll explain the context, yeah. but a very simple parable process to follow to reach people for Jesus. So there's two things I want, I, want, I want to encourage you to do. First one is, next opportunity you get, do the um, Sharing Jesus Confidently course. Yeah. Become yeah. confident and competent. Yeah. So what, whenever that is, keep an ear out, keep an eye out, and, and do that. Be equipped yeah. so you can share Jesus confidently, if, if, you, if you're not sure how to do that right now. And the other thing I want you to do is not fall asleep for the next half hour. Because I'm going to give you the simplest tool in your hand to reach people for Jesus. So I want to share with you from a particular parable. But we need to put parables and all of Scripture in its context to understand it. So one day when Jesus was preaching and there were scribes and Pharisees and lawyers and all the religious people, and there were publicans and sinners, and that's like, you know, shorthand for lost people. And there were the disciples. Jesus stood up and he gave three of the most hope-filled parables that we find in all of Scripture. And they're found in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to summarize them because we don't have time to go through all of those. The, the parable of the lost sheep. There's a shepherd, he has a hundred sheep. One goes astray, so what does the shepherd do? You know, he goes looking for it. Why? Because God loves lost people. He's not talking about sheep. 
God loves lost people. So the shepherd, Jesus, and now that we've become sheep and we have to turn into shepherds, we've got to go looking too. Jesus said when the shepherd found the sheep, he gathered his friends together and celebrated. And he said that in the same way they said, in, in heaven, the angels rejoice. There's more joy in heaven for that one that comes back than all the other 99, which is us. So when one person comes to Jesus, there's more celebration in heaven than all of us put together. Why? Because they've already celebrated us. And we're in relationship with him. So he doesn't need to keep celebrating that. We've got everything now. And he wants us to go looking for the lost. And then Jesus talked about the lost coin or the, the woman with the lost coin. Probably in that day, it was a woman's dowry. And she lost one, she had 10 coins, she lost one. 10% of anything is a lot, especially when you're a woman. And so back in that day, using that as a dowry for the possible upcoming wedding, it was valuable to her. So she turned her house inside out, sweeping it clean, looking for this valuable coin. When she found it, she didn't say, whew, I found that. She gathered her friends together and she celebrated And Jesus said in the same way, there's more joy in heaven. The angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner comes to repentance. Is Jesus talking about sheep and coins? We know he's not. He's talking about lost people and the Father's heart for lost people. And God goes looking. God goes fishing. Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men because some of them were fishers of fish. So they understood the metaphor. Now, all of us, our discipleship has to involve, has to include at its centre, finding lost people and bringing them back to Jesus. Well, then Jesus told what probably around the world is the most known of all the Bible parables, the parable of the prodigal son. You know, he, he, he encouraged his father to give him half the inheritance which he's the younger son, he goes and squanders it all on loose living, he comes to his senses when he's got nothing left. Isn't it terrible coming to your senses when you've got nothing left? Why don't we come to our senses when we've got everything so we use it wisely? Anyway, that's a by the by. It just came to me then. Maybe God's talking to me. (laughs) And I do have everything. (laughs) Boat, dirt bike. (laughs) Comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to repent and I'm going to go back to my father. And when he's a long way off, the father runs towards him, which was not, would not have, that would not have happened in that day. A, a, a nobleman would have waited for his son to come and beg forgiveness. But see, Jesus is talking about the love of the father. He goes looking for people, embracing them, loving them. And then as he finished telling these three wonderful parables of how God loves people and how he takes the initiative to go and find them, he chases them, he looks for them, he engages us to do the same. He then turns to his disciples. And this is what he said in Luke 16. He said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager or a steward. And charges were brought to him to the, man, to, the, to the master, to the owner, to the rich man, that his manager was wasting his possessions. So he called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can be manager no longer. And the manager, the steward, said to himself, flip. That's in the Aramaic. You probably don't have it in the English translation. 
What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. I know. Light bulb went on. He worked it out so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So when he's going to lose everything, he's going to lose his apartment or his house on the estate. He's going to have nothing. He's going to have to have friends who are going to welcome him. So he comes up this plan. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, write 80. Master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So what is he? Dishonest, wasteful, or shrewd? Yes. <laughs> He's all of those things. So New Testament scholars, this is a little bit of a professor geek thing, New Testament scholars for a long time have said this is probably the hardest parable of all of Jesus' parables to understand. In just reading it, particularly in our culture and our context. But when you understand what's going on and the setting, it is easy peasy to understand and even easier to apply. So, what's going on? So you have here, you remember Downton Abbey. How many of you watched Downton Abbey? Oh, I love Downton Abbey. Oh, okay. <laughs> is there a woman that loves Downton Abbey? Would you stand with me? You know? <laughs> oh, dear. So this is a huge, huge Huge house in the middle of England somewhere. Uh, it's, not Downton, it's, it's not called Downton Abbey, it's something else. But for the, for the series and the movie, this beautiful old building is called Downton Abbey. And there's a rich man, a rich family that live there. And they're the, rich of the richest of the rich, they're the nobility of England. They have squillions of acres. And are, so the rich man in this parable is the guy like, who owns the entire estate and something like this. The manager is probably a freed slave who has been educated and is now has managerial skills, managerial skills and has authority to interact with all the master's debtors and his servants to provide contracts for them and uh, you know gather up all the income. Well, who were they? So around the periphery, you might have seen during the series if you watched it, and for those of you who didn't, like me, around the, the um, periphery, around the outskirts of this huge property, which is similar to first century Palestine, were peasant farmers. And they would, you know, as you sometimes you saw the family go down into the village and the villages are full of peasant farmers. They had pig pens and they had chickens and some of them had crops and sheep and what have you. And part of their harvest or part of the, the, the pigs and the flocks and the sheep and the lambs and all of that, they would pay as their rent for having this plot of land for however long. So the debtors are the peasant farmers who live on that land. And so this manager, he's somehow squandering his master's possessions. We're not told how and it's not pertinent to the story, but he gets the sack. And he says, I want you to bring in the books, that is all the contracts, to give an account 
for your stewardship, for your management. And then you're gone. Your history. So he does that. In the middle of his thinking, he goes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my house, I've got nowhere to go. Uh, I'm not strong enough to dig. If you were a labourer, hired yourself out as a labourer, you could have earned a living. Not as well as labourers today, but they could have uh, earned a living. He said, I'm too ashamed to beg. He was an educated man. He wasn't a beggar. He was too ashamed, too proud to beg. You could have eked out a living begging, but he didn't want to do that. So he thinks to himself, what do I do? I know. I'll go to my master's debtors. All of the peasant farmers with whom he's been negotiating their contracts as the manager of the estate on behalf of the rich man. So he goes to them, he calls them in, he says, how much do you owe? And he tells him and he cuts it down in half, how much do you owe? He knocks 20% off and he goes through all of them. It's like Pastor Dave here, Pastor Dave and Louise, they get a phone call from the bank manager. Can you come in and see me? They go, flip, what's going on? So they go in and sit down, Tim Tams and coffee. How, how are things going with the young adults ministry at, at the church? And how are your little ones? And good to see you. And they're getting anxious. What does the bank manager want? Say, how much do you owe for your mortgage? Well, I don't know what it is. And it's not important. Let's say it's $300,000. Um, $300,000, Mr. Bank Manager. Well, how about, here's the, here's the contract. Let's make it one Let it be in Jesus' name, let it be so. Now you're all thinking, which bank? All of a sudden, that bank manager is the best friend, isn't he? He's on the Christmas card list. They name the next kids after him. Gets invited for birthdays and Christmas parties. Then he gets invited to church. Gets invited to a 5 p.m. service when Pastor Day is preaching. He's best friend. He's made a friend for himself, hasn't he, the bank manager? This is what the steward did in reducing the bills, the contracts, which he previously had authority, but they don't know that he's been sacked yet, so he's changing them before they know. And he brings all of those to the master to give an account, like he told him to, and the master, the rich man, commended him. Why would he commend him? Well, it's quite simple. Two things happened. First thing is, we need to understand the the filthy rich of the rich never hung out with the peasants. And they really like each other. The rich man continued the wealth of his estate by what they paid to live there and farm his land. So he kept getting richer and richer and richer off them and they didn't get as much as they would have liked. So he was was like far off. No relationship. So what the manager did was he endeared them to him because the manager is working on behalf of the rich man. Understand that? The second thing he did is made friends for himself. So now he's lost his job, he's got places to visit, places to stay, he's he's going to have a bed on a couch somewhere. Well, why did Jesus say all this to his disciples after telling them the parable of the lost people that God is after? Well, we read this straight after he finishes teaching this parable. He said, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. 
So salesman takes his, one of his customers out for lunch, pays for it. Why? To endear himself to the customer to get more custom, get more sales. The International Olympic Committee, when they are thinking about which city to vote for the next Olympic Games, get invited to inspect the city, to inspect the committee, to determine whether they're competent, whether they've got the facility, the funds, the organisational structures and all of that. And in the meantime, they get bribe after bribe after bribe. Their, their children get university fees paid. They get luxury cars, they get jewellery, they get international first-class airfares, which they do anyway, wherever they fly, so I don't know why they bribe them with that, but they did. this is like on public record. Why do they do that? To endear themselves. So the, the city officials are using the, the, the money of the city to win friends for themselves. Because money does that, doesn't it? And Jesus taught his disciples to do the same. But what he taught them was that the, they were like the manager. And the manager owned nothing. If you want to know what you own, get to heaven and see what came through the coffin with you. Nothing. Nothing. The only thing you're going to take is yourself and anyone you're into the Lord. Everything else, we're stewards of that. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have a good life. He's given us a good life. In Australia, we have a good life. Most of us have a great life. We have cars and houses and plenty of food and nice things and... Jesus is teaching that the Father owns all of that and wants us to use it to reach lost people because the peasant farmers are the lost people. And we are to use what he has given us to reach them. Why? To bring them into eternal dwellings. Why? Because the Father loves lost people. Loves lost people. We must never think, for God so loved the world until we got saved. He still loves them. And they're still lost. And if we're disciples, then we're committed to partnering with him to to reach them. And we all have people in our sphere of influence to reach for Jesus, don't we? So he says, use what you've got. Use your material possessions. And he goes on and explains these things. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous mammon, so that when it fails, that's when it's all gone, at the end of your life, when it's all said and done, no more time, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest with very little is also dishonest with much. Why is dishonest opposite to faithful? Have you ever read that and noticed? Dishonest is opposite to faithful. So when we use God's material possessions that are given us to reach lost people, we're faithful. When we keep it for ourselves, we're dishonest. Dang. Can you finish your sermon go, so let us get out of here? <laughs> I'm just telling you what Jesus said yeah. after this parable. And they said, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, well, who's the other? Everything we have belongs to him. Yeah. It's another's. Yeah. So he's calling us to be faithful in using what he has given us. Yeah. Whatever. And we don't have to sell all our houses and our cars and be poor and give it to the poor. He's not asking us to do that. He's asking us to use whatever we've got in whatever way we can to reach whoever we can in really practical ways. That's faithfulness. We're faithful if we use his. He says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, 
Who will give you that which is your own, which is when we get there? So when we get to heaven, or wherever we're going to be in the future, in, in, in the next life, new heaven and new earth, but we're going to be with him, well, why would he give us anything of our own when we didn't use what he gave us to win lost people? Wow. That's why people don't like this parable. And then Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters. Well, who are the two masters? He will either serve one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a parable about money. 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 Our resources. You either serve your money by living for yourself or you serve God by using your money to reach lost people. That's all this parable's about. So let me explain to you some of the some of the strong words that Jesus used to the Pharisees who really didn't want to do that because they were all about themselves. And I know there's no one here, but let me just finish this teaching, otherwise I wouldn't have done my job. The Pharisees who were lovers of money, and remember Paul said to Timothy, love, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Theft, murder, adultery, etc., 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 etc. The love of money. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is amoral. It's not negative, positive. It's not evil. It's not good, not bad. Money is just money. But the love of money, that's the root of all kinds of evil. And the Pharisees were lovers of money. Heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. What does it mean to justify? They were working out why they didn't have to do what he was teaching. They're justifying why they're not going to do that. They're working it out. But God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So he wants us to use our resources, or sorry, his resource that he's entrusted to us to reach lost people. Simple. You can still got, you've still got plenty of money. You still got, can live a good life, and we do. I want to share with you three simple ways that I have been involved. And I'm not the world's number one evangelist, but I have practiced this in really simple ways. The first way is by myself with my wife, Sue. Many years ago, we lived in, in Kilsyth, and next-door neighbours' names were Kerry and Jerry. Not Tom and Jerry, the cat and mouse, but Kerry and Jerry. And uh, they, they were not believers. Jerry had some sort of a Dutch Reformed background, but they weren't believers. And so we would share the gospel with them, we would laugh with them. Jerry liked bad dad jokes, as bad as I did, and so we were at each other all the time with puns and jokes, and, and uh, Kerry was really as proficient as my wife at rolling her eyes, and as my kids are, you know, but we developed a rapport, relationship, we would invite them, I was teaching at Tabor College first, and we, we would uh, invite them up to Careforce Church, where we fellowship, to the Christmas production, and we built a relationship, and then one day I watched The Matrix, I wasn't really that thrilled with The Matrix, but I thought, I can preach the gospel with this. So, the Matrix. You know the one? That's the reality is behind the Matrix. And Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the gospel of the truth. So we invited Kerry and Jerry. Sue made this fantastic supper. It wouldn't have cost a lot of money. Invited them over for supper. And we watched the movie. We said, come watch the Matrix. Have you seen the Matrix? I haven't seen the Matrix. Come on over. Well, they didn't know. I 
stopped it halfway. Did you know the Bible says this? And I went shabba-dabba-ding-dong at Mark 10 for half an hour, preached the gospel to them, and I turned it back on, and off we went. <laughs> it's not hard. It's not hard. So we continue to build a relationship. We actually ended up moving from there after a while. Well, Sue bumped into Jerry at Eastland Shopping Centre one day in the supermarket. Jerry comes up to her and says, Sue, Sue, I'm one of you now. <laughs> he downloaded a Bible. He read the Bible. He made sense of all the things we had shared with them, and he gave his life to Jesus. That's not hard, is it? Any one of us can do that. Maybe not at Mark 10, but you can do it in your own way. <laughs> so the second way, many years earlier, I was in a life group, young adults life group, and uh, one of the guys in our life group had friends around the corner from where he lived, and the father lost his job. The house was in disrepair, there was a leak in the roof, broken tiles, broken window, so he said, he came to life group one day, and said, can we do a working beam? We all said, yeah, we're in that. So we, we chipped in some money, we bought a few tiles, we climbed up on the roof without any guarding, so, but don't tell anyone, that was, you can't, they can't find us retrospectively, can they? Because not OH&S, safety and all of that, but we got up there, we fixed the roof, we put new tiles in there, we, we brought a glacier in to fix, fix the window, we did a working bee in the house, they were so grateful, the mum comes out with a tray, with cordial and the cheapest bickies you can find, just say thank you, the house just melting, thank you, but these people should... She'd only know one person, but the whole group from this church came to help them. The hearts just opened to us all. So a number of years ago, when I was a Crossways executive pastor, trying to get our kids, into the, our kids' ministry into the high schools, because we want to reach young people with the gospel of Jesus. Well, this high school principal said, no, 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 very hard, sort of like Pharaoh's hard heart. He kept saying, no, 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 no. And so I kept saying, yes, 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 keep pushing, keep pushing, keep praying, break the spirit of the thing and, and find a way in. Well, finally, after a long time, the principal made a mistake. He let him in. He didn't know I was involved. The great rich. So this is, so this is, what, this is what they did. They allowed them, probably, in fact, almost inevitably, to shut them up. Just shut up. Okay, you can come in and supervise the chess club. You know how many kids played chess at this high school? <laughs> Do you know how many adults it takes to supervise two kids playing chess? None. Zero. Zero. That's just stick them in a corner. You can't say anything. You can't preach. You can't invite them to church. You can't do any of that. No religious talk. <laughs> but we got in there. Yeah. They don't understand Jesus' teaching. Yeah. So I said... To Jason, the youth pastor, make me an appointment with the principal. Let's go see him. And he said, okay. So anyway, he tried to make an appointment. It was just before Christmas. He was not available. So he made an appointment with the wellbeing coordinator. So yes, she oversaw the nursing staff, the, or the nurses, the first aid, the counsellors, the supervisors of you know, kids' programs and all of that. So big, you know, reasonable staff, very responsible role. So we went and saw her. She said, how can I help you? I said, well, you know, we're from... Crossway Church around the corner, every month we take up a collection, it's a gold coin collection on top of our tithes, to, to uh, minister to people's needs or to help people who have various financial needs in our community, whether in our church and outside the church, and you guys are outside our church, but you're in our community, is there any ways that we can help you? She said, like what? I said, I don't know, that's why I'm here to ask. 
Um, do some of the families, kids need new shoes and they can't afford them? Well, there's a government department that subsidises that. Okay, was well, there some other way we can help staff or the school or families or kids? Like, what do you mean? Oh, it's like dragging teeth out of a something. It was hard work. But I just tried to keep giving example after example after example. And after a while, you could see the lights went on. And did they go on? Well, actually, now that you say that, next year the education department is bringing in a, uh, a new curriculum for a number of subjects. And all of the students will need new books. Some of the families won't be able to afford them because they're 50 60 $70 each. If we had half a dozen for each year level in the library, they could borrow it for the year or lease it for $10 for the year and then give it back at the end of the year. I said, well, how much would it cost to have all of those for every year level? She said, about $1,000. I said, we'll do that. Really? Yeah, we can do that. That's easy. What else can we do? Oh, now she's thinking. Well, actually, she's on a roll. Every year, some of the classes go on school camps. But there are some families who can't afford to send their kids. And you know, kids missing out on school camp, that's no fun. Yeah. So I said, well, how much does it cost to send kids to school camp? So oh, two or $300. I said, Here's this, this is what you do. Call us every time a family can't afford to send their kids. And we will sponsor them every time. Right. Really? I said, really? What else can we do? And now she's on a roll, but our time was up, so we had to, had to finish up. So came back to church, came back to Crossway, drew a check for $1,200. And we gathered up, it was just before Christmas, so we got 400 Christmas hampers put, being put together by our volunteers. And I got, got 10 Christmas hampers, gave them to our youth pastor, say, take the check and the, the, the Christmas hampers straight back. Give one to her and nine to give out to the, some families in the, in the school community. So the next year, phone rings from the school. Can your youth pastor intern come and spend some time with our kids at our year seven camp and take some of the programs? Hearts and doors swing open. We never had to try again. It gets better. It gets better. And all I did, I had studied this. I'm just practicing what Jesus said. I'm, but I'm using the church's money, not my own. Which I'm allowed because I'm a church employee. I love spending the church's money. I get paid big bucks to spend the church's money. So I'd study this. And I, it, so it works, doesn't it? Last I heard... 34 teenagers were going to youth group at Crossway Church because of this. Because of this. Well, it gets better. The principal began talking to other principals in his region and the Victorian Education Department about his partnership with Crossway Baptist Church. We did a working bee in that school. And then Mr Howard, who was Prime Minister back then, this is... Um, 2005 or somewhere around there, give or take a few years. He was offering $20,000 or the government was offering $20,000 for high school chaplains. So I went and saw the principal, didn't I? I said, did you know the, the government is offering $20,000 for chaplains? Do you have a chaplain? No, we don't have a chaplain. Do you want a chaplain? We want a chaplain. I said, well, we can get you a chaplain. How do we get you? Well, we get the $20,000 from the government. If we raise $10,000 as a church, do you reckon you could raise $10,000 as a school? He said, we can do that. All right, done. He turns to me and says, can you find me that chaplain? Wow. Yeah. I said, I can find you that chaplain. <laughs> we just happen to have one in our church. 
I went through the interview process. I got one of our youth pastors, trained her in interviewing, and we, appoint, we, we, we recommended her. He appointed her without an interview on my say-so. That woman is now the well-being coordinator. One of my youth pastors that we appointed out of just the life of the church, trained her up for five, she became the chaplain. Then others from our church went on staff there and we were doing a takeover bid. <laughs> Kids come and getting saved left, right and centre. Praise the Lord for that. We can all do this. And it's not because I've got degrees and doctorates and tons of experience and I'm smarter than anyone else. No, I am just did what Jesus said. Yeah. And all of us can do this. Yeah. Whether it's individuals, whether families, whether it's your life group. Or as a church, invite them to Easter. Invite your friends to Easter. Say, tell them you're taking them out for lunch and just divert through church. <laughs> okay, maybe you have to apologise later for being sneaky. But blame me. Tell them I suggest you do that. Or, or go out for lunch. Invite them and then take them out for lunch. Yeah. Bless the socks off people and use your resources to make a difference in their lives. Yeah. Life groups. Someone in your life group knows someone whose washing machine's broken down. Buy them a new one. Yeah. One of your friends loses their job. Pay their mortgage for a few months. Show the love of Jesus. We're using his finances. If it's in our hands, it belongs to him. He wants us to use it to reach lost people for Jesus. This is so simple, isn't it? It's so easy. We can do this. And you know, when we share the love of Jesus and we talk about him, Holy Spirit gets involved and begins to draw people. Begins to draw people. Remember when you got saved? Something began to work in here, the tugging, the drawing, the irresistible force within. We can do that, can't we? We can do this. Can you imagine if we all did that as families, as individuals, as life groups and as a church on our big occasions when we have something to bring people to and invite them to? We as staff can use the church's money. When you you give so generously as you do, we we have programs to minister to the needs in the community. That is making a difference. Numacare is making a difference in people's lives. Wow, it is so simple. Yeah. Being a fisher of men isn't so hard after all. Yeah. You, don't have to be a, you don't have to be a gifted evangelist like Pastor Cherie. You just have to do what Pastor Cherie says. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and if that's too hard for you, do what I say. Reach your friends for Jesus. And you know what to do what I say. Let's just sort, why don't we all do what Jesus says? Yeah. In a few moments, Pastor Sheree's going to come up and she's going to give an opportunity to anyone who yet hasn't found God as Saviour, Christ as Saviour yet. But until she comes, in just the last moment, I want, to, I want us to picture in our mind people in our lives that we, we know don't know Jesus yet. Maybe family members, kids, parents, cousins, aunts, uncles, colleagues at work, friends at school. Maybe your next-door neighbour that you muck around with like I do. Tell dad jokes over the fence. People you play sport with. Social networks. The service station guy that you see every week, you know his name and you get chatting. Anyone. How can you you use the resources the Father's put in your hands to bless them so much it opens their heart so that you can bring them into eternal dwellings? I wonder if you just mind closing your eyes for a minute and, and dedicating your lives to doing this. 
Why? Because we're disciples of Jesus and disciples are by definition fishers of men. We have to be fishers of men because God loves lost people and he wants to use us to reach them. So Father, I pray for my brother who lives in Perth, my friends here, my family, church family here, the people that they're envisaging right now. Give us strategies. Help us find ways to reach them with the resources you've given us, to bless their socks off that their hearts melt, that their hearts soften. They realise you love them and through that love they realise God loves them and the irresistible force of the Holy Spirit begins to draw them so that we can bring them into eternal dwellings. We're so grateful that you spent everything you had, Father, when you paid the price of Jesus for us. The least we could do is spend some of our money. The least we could do is spend some of the resources you've given us to be a blessing to people so much so that their hearts, their minds, their homes open to us in a new way and open to you. Let this become part of our everyday thinking, our everyday life, our everyday discipleship. So week after week, day after day, week after week, we can be like the New Testament church in Acts 2. Every day, they never ceased preaching and teaching Jesus. And every day, the Lord added to the church those who are being saved. Let that be our testimony. And I pray this simple strategy in the parable of Jesus will help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.